Kicking off a new series, uh, Grace Affords, and tonight we're going to be discussing commitment. And uh, if you're listening to the passage, reading through it, if you've been working through personal worship uh, as we do as a church uh, before, you've been reading uh, 1 John 4, 7 through 21, and you've read the word love a lot. So you're probably a little confused. You're like, why doesn't it say love on the screen? Well, we're going to kind of unpack that because John here is talking, obviously, about love. He mentions love 27 times. I counted. Now, I could be off because eventually it got just like way up there and I'm not good at counting. Um, So I definitely would not have gotten into any of the schools that you applied to, Aaron. There's no way. But he's he's wanting us to see something this evening and it's it's what love is. And love is, as we will unpack, commitment. Commitment is love and love is commitment. And he kind of explains that as he shares the reality of God's love for us. And when you unpack it and when you diagnose it, it's very clearly that God's love to us is commitment to us. And then he's also going to tell us that there's three things that love does. In this passage, we see love demonstrates intimacy, it casts out fear, and it also reveals God for who he is. And so uh, we're going to jump right in this evening in in verse 7. But I think one of the things when we, when we look at this passage and we ask the question, okay, we're talking about love and love is commitment. The problem that we have with love is that culture has a whole different slew of definitions for love, right? So I could say, I love movies, which I do. By the way, if you haven't seen the new Jungle Book, fantastic. You need to check it out. I could say I love pasta, which I could literally eat every single night of my life. Penne pasta, butter, maybe a little olive oil if I'm feeling risky, and then salt and pepper. That's like every night of my life I could eat that. I could say that I love my wife, I love Jessica, and I love Roman, which I certainly do. I could say that I love cats, which would be a lie. So if you're a cat lover, I'm sorry. You can't blame me because it's their fault. Every time I go around them, my throat closes up, and I hate my life. So I do not love cats. That would not be true. But see, the problem with love is that we have all these different definitions, right? So we say that we love things all the time, and the problem is we don't really know what love is. And John unpacks that for us. Look at verse 7. He says, Beloved, those that are loved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. So he's saying here that there's this relationship between knowledge and love. That knowledge generates love. When you come to know somebody, it generates love. And he, can, he says here in your relationship with God, what's happened? When you come to know God for who he is, what do you experience? What do you see? Love. Why? Because God is love. And so he's explaining to us here that when you've come to the place where you believe in the gospel, you believe that Jesus is who he said he is. He was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died for your sins, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and is promised to return one day to, in fact, bring about, as he discusses here, even the day of judgment where Those of you that believe in faith and know God, you will be with God eternally. If you believe that, what have you experienced and what do you know? You know love because God is love. There's this relationship between knowledge and love. And so if you say you know know God, then you know love. The problem is it's hard for us to really define what love is. Psychology today defines love like this. It says that love is a force of nature You can invite love, but you cannot dictate how, when, and where love expresses itself. So love is something you encounter in their definition. 
You, you play a passive and responsive role, right? So you may, may kind of set up the opportunities for love to exist in relationships, in your life. But unless love kind of comes at you, you can't dictate it. It's this force. It's this feeling that is experienced. Drake and Rihanna, they have a new song out called Too Good. Which I don't know if I would say it's too good, but that's the name of the song. When they talk about love, here's what they say. The chorus says, I'm too good for you. I'm way too good for you. You take my love for granted. And the verse of it says, free time is costing me more than it seems, sacrificing things. And I want to tell you my intentions. I want to do the things that I mentioned. I want to benefit from the friendship. So what is the concept of love? Love is something you give to get something in return. You give love and it should be appreciated. It should be accepted and reciprocated. And if it's not, well, then what do you do? You remove love because you give it to get something. It's this weapon that you wield to get something that you want in return. There are two different definitions of love. And you're never going to believe who has love right culturally. DJ Snake and Justin Bieber. Yep. They got it right. Song called Let Me Love You. It's, it's actually a very good song. Uh, the chorus says this. Don't you give up. I won't give up. Let me love you. What's the song about? It's about commitment, right? The song is about don't give up on me. I won't give up on you. Let me love you. It's this mentality, this mindset of commitment that love is actually not a force of nature. Love is not something you get just to receive something in return, but love is commitment. John says that in verse 9 through 11. Look in your worship program or your Bible. It says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. So this is how we know it. That God sends his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So John is saying that love is commitment. Love is not as culture would define it in many arenas, that it's this force of nature, it's this feeling, it's not this thing that you wield to get something in return, but love is, in fact, commitment. And so if you're asking yourself, what is love? He tells you very clearly, this has been manifested. God sent his only son for us to be a propitiation for our sins. Now, what does that mean? He's saying that God sent himself for us. Did we do anything to deserve it? Did we deserve his love? No, no, it it was not that we loved him. We didn't do anything to deserve or to earn his love. Actually, we wanted nothing to do with God, and yet God committed, right, to love us. He committed to come to our rescue, and he was a propitiation for our sins. Big theological word. Here's what it means. The means of appeasing wrath and gaining the goodwill of an offended person. So here's the example of love. It's commitment to love somebody. It's commitment to somebody. So God came to us for our rescue when we wanted nothing to do with him and we did not deserve an ounce of it, so much so that he endured the wrath that we deserve and brought goodwill to us even though we were offensive to him. That's love. It's commitment to love somebody regardless of the feeling, regardless of whether or not they deserve it, regardless of whether or not you have done anything to warrant it. God has showed us true love So that means that love is commitment regardless of whether or not the person is as committed to you as you are to them. 
regardless of whether or not they're as loving to you as you are to them, regardless of whether or not you think that they appreciate your love. See, this is the baseline of all relationships, whether dating, whether marriage, whether friendship, whether parent and, and child. It's the baseline, the idea and the understanding that we are to love each other and that love is commitment, regardless of whether or not we deserve it or we're as committed. It's also a, a commitment to love somebody for their well-being, right? Jesus was a propitiation for our sins. He took our wrath and he brought goodwill to us when we were offensive, And so it's committed to bringing goodwill and loving someone for who they are. It's enduring pain and suffering. It involves sacrifice. So commitment is love, and love is commitment. And see, the the thing is, though, it's really easy for us to fall into the cultural mentalities of what love is, right? It's really easy for us to fall into the psychology today mentality of love, that love is this feeling. It's this force of nature, right? And so we, we need to make sure we prepare our relationships and our lives to experience that. We need to make sure that we plan things out and we have a good schedule and we have a good relationship and good timing and all these things that we can experience love. And here's what the problem is. It's completely dependent upon how you feel. And I don't know if you're like me, but there's sometimes you just don't feel loving, right? With those that we're in relationship with. You just don't feel loving. So what happens? Friendships get soured because an offense takes place, typically. Whether it's an overt one, like gossip or slander, you have a big blow-up fight with a friend, and then what happens? You distance yourself from that person. Maybe you go look for new friends. You kind of grow apart. Why? There's no commitment to love. Because they've offended you. They don't deserve it anymore. And that feeling isn't there. So you Destroy, or maybe you move to different cities and the offense is as simple as like you're not texting anymore, which I'm like horrible at texting, but like you're not texting anymore and so you just grow apart, but there's no commitment to love each other. What about in, in a parent child relationship? Maybe the, the, the parent feels like the child is not meeting the expectations that they had, or the child feels like their parents aren't accepting of who they are and who they feel like they are made to be, and so because there's no commitment because there's no feeling of love in the way that we desire and imagine, what happens is there's a distance. In dating relationships, in marriage, they fall apart sadly all the time. Why? What do you hear? Maybe you have been a part of this. Maybe uh, your parents or friends you know because you just don't feel the love anymore, right? I just don't feel as happy as I used to in this relationship. And so I'm just going to distance myself the feeling's gone, the sparks are gone, what was once there is gone, and so I need to, to go look for that somewhere else. There's no commitment to love. We can also have Drake and Rihanna's perspective, right, on love, that it's this thing that we wield to get something in return. And so if you're not getting what you want out of a friendship with somebody, what do you do? Go look for a new friend. Just why would I spend time with somebody if I'm not getting what I want out of this relationship? They're not as committed to me. They don't love me as much. They're not appreciating me. So I'm just going to go transfer my affection and my love to somebody else. If you have in a child-parent relationship, if the child's not meeting expectations, you just let them go. Fine, make those decisions, right? Or the parents aren't loving you and they're not accepting you for who you are, then I'm just not going to call. I'm going to distance myself. They're not appreciating me, and so I'm going to remove it. In a, in a dating relationship or in a husband and wife relationship, the extreme of not feeling like your love is appreciated is fine. 
then we're going to split. We're going to break. We're going to get a divorce. I'm going to go find somebody else that will appreciate me. Or it can be more subtle, which is, okay, they're not appreciating me. They're not appreciating my love. Then I'm just not going to give it. I'm going to stay at work later. I'm going to pack up my schedule. I'm going to hang out with my friends more. And I'm just going to ignore and not share how I feel around the house because they're not appreciating my love. See, there's no commitment. And here's the reality of love. It's not a force of nature. It's not selfish. It's not a weapon you wield. It is very clearly commitment, which means it gives 100% and expects 0%. This is the example of love that we see in the gospel, right? It gives 100% expecting 0 in return. And so what happens is, is we come to understand what unconditional love is, no conditions, knowing that that's the type of love that we're to have for each other. Something can happen. We can actually begin to experience the benefits and the blessing of love, which John says here are three things, that it develops intimacy, it demonstrates it, and it casts out fear and it reveals who God is. Look at verse 12, it says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Love, he's saying, demonstrates intimacy, that because we know God and we've come to see God who is love, and he has loved us, he's committed to love us 100% expecting zero. What's happened? There's intimacy. We, God abides in us and we abide in God. There's a relationship that is intimate, that is not as if God is just really distant and really far away and we don't know him and we just come here and we do these rituals because we're Christians and we're, no, no, no. We're here and we're singing these songs and we're praying and we're thinking and we're processing because we know God is here with us. He abides in us and we abide in him. Why? Because we've experienced committed love. So love really does truly demonstrate intimacy. Look at verse 15 and 16. He says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And a few lines later it says, and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. He's saying that there is this relationship that when you experience committed love, it demonstrates, and in our case on many levels, it develops intimacy with the person that you're getting to know. Because here's the thing that he's talking about throughout this letter, is that everything that we experience as a benefit in our relationship with each other, whether friend or husband or wife, parent or child, they all flow out of the same benefits that we experience in our relationship with God. We experience intimacy in our relationship with God because we've experienced his committed love and the same thing will happen if we have committed love in relationships with one another. We ev- it evidences that there's this intimate relationship there. When you see love, real committed love in your relationship, it will evidence intimacy. He says in verse, thing, verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him. So in our case, actually, uh, it develops intimacy on some level. See, we have come to experience intimacy with God because he has committed to love us when we wanted nothing to do with him. And in our case, in our relationships, when we commit to love somebody and really love them, it will develop intimacy. See, when Jessica loves me, when I know I don't deserve it, what happens? Develops intimacy. When a friend loves you, when you know that you have not been a good friend, what happens? It will develop intimacy. When your child disappoints you and you still love them anyways, it will develop intimacy in your your relationship. See, in our relationships, when we commit to love each other, it will actually develop the thing that we want most in relationships, which is intimacy. 
This is really important, though. If you look at a relationship that you have with a friend, with a boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife, or with your parents or with a child, if there's no intimacy or there's a lack of intimacy, what does it signal? There's a lack of love. They work hand in hand, right? If there's a lack of intimacy in a relationship that you have, it's signaling that there's a lack of committed love. Maybe you're operating in that relationship where love is just a feeling, or you give it to get something in return, and so intimacy won't be developed in those cases. But if you commit to love, you will see that intimacy is developed, and it becomes a really great benefit in relationships that we have. But it isn't the only benefit. Also, uh, love casts out fear. Look at verse 17 and 18. It says, By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. This is something we have to diagnose because we look at it on the, on the surface. It says, that we have, been perfe- we have perfected love and that we are as Jesus was in the world. And if you're like me, you're like, wait, what? Like, first off, I know my love is not perfect. I operate oftentimes like it's just this force of nature or it's something I use to get something in return. So my love is certainly not perfect. And I also am certainly not like Jesus was. Like, I've read a little bit of the Bible and I know I'm nothing like that. So what is John actually saying here? He's saying that, there's this relationship between committed love and the casting out of fear. He, he no, notice he says that we will have confidence for the day of judgment. There's no fear in punishment because we have perfected love. He's talking about a relationship between fear and love. And so he's not saying that we have the same character of Christ, that we are somehow perfect in love as Jesus was. He's not saying that. He's saying that we have perfected love within us And so in the same way that Jesus, his standing before God was secure, we have the same standing before God because of Jesus' perfected love. So the reality is, is why does committed love cast out fear? Well, because committed love makes you realize that you're safe. You're forgiven. Regardless of what you do, you're going to be loved. So it casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. So John is saying something very, very important here. He's saying, love... And fear do not mix. I said this last week. It's like peanut butter and mayo. The thought of it makes you want to throw up, right? I wanted to say it again just so I could give you that mental image. Love and fear do not go together. And one of the problems that we have is that oftentimes we operate in our relationships with each other out of fear, right? And out of fear, we do things with the hope that will produce love, right? fear of punishment, fear of rejection, fear that the relationship is going to distance. And so we make decisions out of that fear to produce love. And John is saying here that fear and love don't mix. That fear will never produce love. And so some very clear things, you know, you may be in a a dating relationship and, and you may be tempted to think, you know what, I need to sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend because it'll produce love. It won't. John is saying that fear and love do not mix. And so if out of fear, you're making decisions to produce love, it's not going to happen. You may think, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to bring up this offense or this hurt 
or this issue that I have in this relationship with my friend or with my spouse or with my boyfriend or girlfriend or with my son or daughter or with my mom or dad because if I bring this up, there's a strong chance it's gonna produce a big blow up fight. It's gonna be uncomfortable. I may be, you know, the relationship may be punished, you know, because of that conversation. So I'm just gonna keep it in. I'm just not gonna say anything out of hopes that somehow we'll get past it and, and our relationship will be full of love. Well, that never happens because fear and love don't mix. Maybe you think, you know, I'm not gonna encourage or ask uh, my husband or my wife to take on more responsibilities in the home because I'm fearful that they may tell me I'm nagging or lazy or we could get in a huge fight. So this fear of punishment causes us to make decisions to in fact produce love, but it will never produce love. Sometimes you may think, you know, I'm not gonna discipline my children because I don't wanna be the bad mom or the bad dad and I don't want my child to not love me anymore, but John is saying fear and love don't mix. Don't make decisions based out of fear. And again, similar to intimacy, if you have a relationship in your life and yours fear of punishment, what is it signaling? There's a lack of committed love, right? On one part, there's a lack of commitment to love that person, so what do you have? You have a fear of punishment. See, these things run hand in hand. He's emphasizing that we are to love like Jesus loved us. We are to commit to each other, to love each other, regardless of who we are and what we do and whether or not we earn it or deserve it and whether or not we feel the feeling. We are to sacrifice. We are to be honest. We are to be humble. We are to be open. We are to be committed because that's the kind of love that we've experienced. And lastly, he says that love, the, the last benefit of committing to love each other is that it reveals who God is. It reveals God to other people and to us. He says in verse 19, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Why? For he does not know, for he does not love his brother whom he has seen and cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And that word love, as we understand now, means commitment, right? It's a commitment to love them. Because when you come to know God who is love, he has committed to love us, regardless of who we are and what we've done. And so in the same way, we're to love each other. See, John's writing this letter in a very interesting uh, point in the life of the church. There's a lot of tension because false teachers are, are kind of spreading and gaining steam. And there's this tension between should I love and commit to following after Christ and loving his people and his church and loving others? Or should I fall into the trap of committing to and loving these other ideologies, this other way of life? And so John's writing this letter to the church and he's saying that there's these false teachers and he calls them three things. He says that they are false prophets, meaning that they are, they are saying things with authority, but what they're saying are in fact lies. He says that they're deceivers, meaning on the surface it may look good, it may look appeasing, it may look intriguing, you may think that it's good for your life, but it is in fact destructive and dangerous. They're deceiving you. And lastly, he calls them antichrists. And he's not saying that they're like red with big horns and a staff, right? He's saying that they are anti-Christ. They are the opposite of him. They're denying who Jesus is. And, and so these people during this time were, it's, they're called proto-Gnostic, or it's maybe the first forms of what's called Gnosticism. And it's this idea and this mentality that the flesh and the material things are evil. And the way to achieve salvation is through enlightenment. 
So tell me if this rings a bell, if this sounds familiar. They would say that Jesus was a good or maybe great person, a prophet, good teacher, in touch with the supreme being and power, maybe favored by God or whoever's up there, but he's certainly not God in the flesh. He's certainly not savior of the world. He's certainly not the God-man. So, instead of following after Jesus for salvation, you seek to become more spiritual, right? You try to enlighten yourself. You take all these practices. Gnosticism was like various pagan practices and Judaism, some Christianity, and kind of blend it up, and then you take what you want. So you can become more spiritual. You can become enlightened. You can gain knowledge. And that's how you would, in fact, become saved. You'd achieve salvation. Very opposite of what the gospel says, right? That God committed to love you, and he will continue to love you, and that Jesus was, in fact, God in the flesh. And what is so interesting to me is that in this tension point of an intersection of the church, John does not say, okay, church, I'm going to write you this letter. I'm going to give you five points. Here are the five points. You're going to say this, 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 and this when they come to you, and you're just going to destroy their arguments. You're going to make them look so foolish. What does he say? He says, love each other, right? The greatest apologetic is not a pithy point. The greatest apologetic is love. He's saying that you're going to experience all of these things, but what does love, committed love do? It reveals who God is. So when the false teachers come and when the pressure comes and all the things are trying to lead you and deceive you and telling you that what you believe is ridiculous and Jesus is maybe a good person, but you need to become enlightened and spiritual, he says, Love them like I loved you. Commit to love them. And we know this, right? That the the greatest apologetic is love because debates and points and books, they may have been a part of our process. If you're here and you're of faith, they may have been strategic. But what ultimately brought you to belief is that the fact that God committed to love you. It's experiencing his love, right? It's not some, you know, very systematic, clear point that just, provided you all of the logic that you needed. It could have been a part of it, but it's not the thing that really affected you. And so John is saying, we are to love because we've been loved. And when we really do love and commit to love each other in our friendships and our marriages and our relationships and people in our work, our neighbors, we will begin to experience the benefits of love, that we will have intimacy in relationships, fear will be cast out, and God will be revealed in our relationships with each other as we love each other. But he never says it's easy, right? Because it's not easy. It's going to involve a lot of prayer, a lot of humility, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of gritting your teeth because it's going to be difficult to love because you don't feel the feeling. (laughs) You're not receiving in return what you want to receive because you're committing to love somebody 100% and you're expecting zero. But we can have confidence because he says that the Spirit of God is in us who is love. And so, we can commit to love because we've been eternally committed to. We can have intimacy demonstrated and developed in our relationships. Why? Because we have intimacy with Christ. We can have fear cast out of our relationships. Why? Because we know that we are safe before God. And lastly, God can be revealed in our relationships when we love people because God has revealed himself to us. And so, it is true that grace does, in fact, afford commitment. And our charge and our call is to be people that are committed to loving each other and others as well.
Let's pray.